Well, these words again from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he's made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. May we begin this message today with a reminder from Second Timothy beginning in verse 16. May I read all scripture, and scriptures are the Old Testament and the New Testament, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I read these words last week as we began our study in this book of Ephesians, and I did it for a special reason. It's because it is within these first few words of the book of Ephesians that men, even the most scholarly in the scriptures, diverge in their understanding, in their beliefs, and in their teachings. And may I say quickly that I'm not just speaking of those worldly scholars, those secular scholars, those who have never truly tasted the gift of salvation, but rather they study the scriptures for their academic purposes. I'm not speaking of those. I'm speaking rather of devout church scholars, men who have fully and completely surrendered their lives, their intellect, their wisdom to Christ, and are solemnly consecrated to the giving of a correct and accurate interpretation of these scriptures. But yet, they diverge in what they teach. And I confess that I remain confused and dumbfounded that these most dedicated of scholars, and what I'm speaking of is those in the Reformed tradition as we are, and those that are in the Arminian tradition, which is our Methodists and Baptists and most of our charismatic brethren, and all those that fall in between those, how they have such a diverse interpretation of what these few words have to say how they can find a clear basis for their diverse beliefs just within these few words. It would seem that such a concise set of words as these, given in in such clear and plain language, would settle differences that men would have with their many questions. But to the contrary, 
These few words bring division, even to the point of bringing about the formation of most of the different Christian denominations that we see around us today. Now, what am I talking about exactly? Specifically, it's here in verses 4 and 5 and then in verse 11. I'll read them again. Verse 4, Just as He, God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. His will. And then in verse 11, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now in particular, the differences take place by the implication that's received from two of these words. The first word being chosen, that He chose us in Him. And then the second word, predestined. They bring controversy into the way we think that we would like God to be. Not in the way that God is, but rather in the way that we would like God to be. And specifically, it is the controversy involved is questioning when and by whom and in what context our salvation the salvation of our souls takes place. In the message last week, we gave consideration to spiritual blessings, those words in verse 3, that God blesses us with in these heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. And we began by saying that at that very first moment of salvation, that God gives us His Holy Spirit to abide within us all the remaining days of our lives. And then along with His Spirit, we receive all those many wonderful and precious spiritual fruits and His gifts of His Spirit. And I began with that message in order to say to us, this is where we are today. Each of you, myself, have proclaimed that we are believers, that we have Christ as our Savior. And so, this is where we are today. We are saved And we have God's Holy Spirit abiding within us. But listen, the question that comes up within verses 4 and 5 and 11, we need to deal with those. And the question is, we are here in this condition of salvation. But how did we get here? How did you and I get into this precious condition of salvation? Was it simply as a result of a decision that we made one day, perhaps in response to some preacher's word at a revival? Did we simply go forward and pray the sinner's prayer because we were provoked within our heart to do that? And now we're saved. Or was there something more at work? Something so very powerful that it can only be explained with words like, Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Those very words of verse 3. Now according to these words that we've just read, that is exactly what took place. And yes, perhaps, we did respond to a preacher's invitation. And we prayed an earnest prayer 
we were convicted. And we prayed an earnest prayer. And we, we asked the Lord to reach into our hearts and to save us. But listen, these words here in Ephesians 1 tell us that there was also, also, much, much more taking place behind those scenes. Somewhere out there in the heavenly places, spiritual blessings that actually began a long, long time before we had those first emotional desires to go forward and to bow our knee and to beg God to save us. There was something taking place long before that, long before time was time. Long before the earth or the heavens or anything else was created. That's what God is saying here in Ephesians 3. I just read these words. Contrary to what many believe and teach, our salvation did not take place as a result of us first seeking after God and then Him responding to our cry for help, for salvation. Not at all. The words that I read, let me quickly read those words to you again. Verse 5, according to the pleasure of His will. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He proposed in Himself. And then verse 11, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, not our own. The decision that we made to step forward and to cry out to the Lord to save us was not first created within our own heart, our own mind. Those spiritual blessings spoken about here tell us that our salvation had its beginning first, first from deep within the heart and the mind of God. As He, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they in some manner conversed and they agreed upon this whole human adventure that you and I have become a part of. And we're not told exactly why God decided to have other children in His family other than His beloved Son. But He did. Perhaps it was from a human perspective it was some sort of desire that welled up within him, perhaps like takes place within a husband and wife, when they suddenly desire to have children of their own. I don't know. We do know that it was not because of any form of need within the heart of God. Because God has no real needs. He is fully satisfied. He is fully complete within himself and he needs nothing to be added to him, his first family, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are complete and in complete harmony. And they don't yearn for anything else. You and I have to understand that. Why do I bring that up? Because let me assure you, that is being taught out there in many churches. That God had a need to be worshipped. That God had a need for others to bow down to Him and to call Him God. That is not true. He is complete in Himself. He had no needs. Your and my presence does not add to or take away 
or meet anything of necessity or anything else within God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So then why? Why did he do it? Why did he decide to have other children in his family besides his beloved son? We get this inference here. It was because he loves. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they love and they want to love. And so what we have to do is then actually come to a conclusion that it is most likely that it is that desire to love that brought the plan for children, you and me, into God's mind. And so then here we are. Here we are. Let me read this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now picking back up on the thought that I was given a moment ago, using this human analogy, may I give you my own experience. There was a special moment in time. Now some 38 years ago when a deep desire welled up within my beloved wife and my heart to share this love that we have within our heart with a child. Our child. One created by us and within our own bodies. With that decision having been made as the fullness of time for our first baby was taking place, we made all sorts of plans for him with not only an eye towards what would take place in the immediate life that he would be living, but also including what would take place in his eternity, that we would want to teach him about the ways of the Lord so that he would have eternal life. And there was never a moment within our consideration and planning where we ever thought of not loving or not caring for our coming child. We never considered abandoning Him or forsaking Him. The plan that we committed to was a full life provision of loving care. And not that we intended to keep our child hemmed up or confined for our own personal pleasure. We knew full well that at some point in time, our child would venture on out and begin a family of his own. And then that same love that brought him into the world would start all over again with him and his children. Now I know that that analogy seems far too simplistic to account for such a vast and far-reaching plan as the one that God devised for us. But I do believe that it might in some way be at least close because you and I are created in that image of God. And so we do have many of His desires and, and, and His pleasures within us. But again, the, the question that we began with, could our being where we are today in our salvation, children of God, destined for eternity with Him in heaven, be as simple as most of our Arminian friends, our Methodist and Baptist friends believe? 
that these things are mostly simply a result of choices made by us and sometimes not good choices when we decide to have children. But in every case, a human-made choice. Is it that? Or could it be that, as we've just been reading here, and I've been saying, could there have instead been a much greater involvement coming from the hand of God in you and me being here both physically and in our condition of salvation? May I give a simple conclusion that must be considered within these questions, and that is that if there was no other intentional choice being made other than our own, and especially no intentional choice being made within the realms of God, then you and I are nothing more than the result of some random event that took place by chance, both in our natural birth, but also, too, that we would have, by chance, been there and heard that preacher preach that sermon, and our heart was then brought to submission. Random chance. Let me say to you, on the authority of the word we just read, these words are simple, Ephesians 1. And they literally cry out to us, saying to us that such human explanations that we are both here physically and we are here in our salvation purely by chance fall short of the truth. That's why as we read these words, you and I have to deal with this very question. Is it by chance or was there a choice being made? Because let me assure you that all the other answers and all the other questions that come up will flow out of that one understanding. And let me also exhort each of us to treat this as intensely personal. Because it is. It's very personal to you and me. Was there a moment in time when God sat down with Himself, with His Son, the Lord Jesus, His firstborn, said to Him, We want to have other sons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We want to have other sons and daughters. Children, just like you, Lord Jesus. Beloved children who will be born into the human race. Children who will be much like all the other children of men. But whom I will personally and intimately love and care for and will bring salvation through you, my beloved Son, Lord Jesus. And then very personally... I'll name one of my children, Bill. I'll born him into a family in which his mother will believe in me, but his father will not. Though I wished that he would have. Bill will have to go through much of his, at least the first part of his life, before he finally turns and listens to my voice and calls upon me and receives the salvation that I have already decided to give to him. He'll be married to Sharon by that time. And I'll bring her to myself also. And from their first moments of salvation, they will serve me. And because they are mine, they will have godly offspring. Children who must also suffer the pains of daily sin, but who will eventually also turn their hearts to me and receive me as their God. And why will I do all of these things? It's because I chose Bill to be my son. From times past, 
even before I ever laid the foundations of this earth, and He will remain mine throughout all time's future. He is ever and always mine. And it is because I am God. And I make choices. Choices that not everyone will understand and agree with. But they are right choices because I am ever and always holy. Romans 9. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who willeth or him that runneth, but of me, God, who shows mercy. Those words and the words of Ephesians 1 and many others like them, they're not easily accepted words. And they they offend and they confuse some. But they're written here. And we cannot discount them. We cannot push them aside and not want to believe them and want to believe something different. They are the truth. And they are really as simple as they seem. God is God and He makes choices. Now I've run out of time. Lord willing, we'll pick back up on these thoughts next week. Especially to consider the alternative beliefs that are within the churches around us. And I'm not going to pronounce anything right or wrong necessarily. I want to give you the Word of God. Let me remind us that God is always loving and caring beyond any measure that we can ever hope or imagine. And our being here today and our being confident in Christ about our salvation gives us that encouraging proof that He really is always good. We are His, chosen by Him, and held securely in the palm of His hand. And praise be to God that He did choose you and me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's pray.